Well, good morning, church. Good to see you all here this morning. Um, I was reading about a uh, young man who is so determined uh, to win the affection of this, this young lady. I mean, he was in love with her, and I don't think she felt the same way. But he was going to make it known that, that he loves her. So even though she wouldn't talk to him anymore, he's like, i got to let her know how much I love her. So he decided he was going to write her a letter every single day. And through the work of the, uh, the postal service, she would mail him that letter. Or he would mail her that letter every day. So he did. And he kept sending a letter and sending a letter every day and every day. And, and it got to the point, though, where it's like, okay, there's no response. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up it. I'm, I'm two, three extra notes besides my daily letter. She got over 700 love letters from this young man. Now, did it work or not? Sort of. She got married to the postman. <laughs> she saw him a lot. Um, I guess that's the way it works sometimes, right? Well, I was thinking about this. Like, here's the thing. God has this incredible love letter for all of us. And we've been talking about this for quite a few weeks here. And here's the thing. It's like, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. You are loved. And you've been hearing these love letters, right? And, and here's the thing. It's like, I hope you are falling in love with the one, not, the, not me, the one who's delivering it, okay? But the one who brought it, Jesus Christ. Because, you know, we, we know God loves us and we, we hear about it. But then we, what we discovered is that the love of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. And we're going to learn, like, the next two weeks how it's reflected in Jesus Christ. And, and when we walk out of here every Sunday for the last couple weeks, I, there's this one simple thing I want you to know, and that is truth, and that is you are loved. You're loved. And it's like, why do I need to hear that? Because, well, it's not about you, first of all. It's about God, right, that loves you. But if you understand who it is that loves you and how you're loved, it will change how you live. It, it really will. And uh, Jesus Christ, as we said, is sort of the one who's been delivering it, right? He is revealed in Christ, and it's going to be reflected in Christ. He is the chosen one of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. He, he loves us so much that he said, I'm going to rescue you. I know you've done bad things, and I'm here to clean it up, and you just need to seek forgiveness. And through my forgiveness that I'm giving to you, there's no more blame. There's no more shame. There's no more condemnation. You're forgiven. And I'm going to rescue you from separation of God. I'm going to rescue you from spiritual death. And it's such a good thing to hear those words, isn't it? As we've been going through God's word, how he not only just rescues us, but he transforms us into a new kingdom. And we are new in Christ. And, and he says, and I'm also giving you, besides forgiveness, I'm giving you birthright into my kingdom, into my family. You're a child of God. And what a beautiful thing that is, right? And we sit there and think, wow, I've got so many benefits from being loved by God, being a part of his family, the, the forgiveness, the no condemnation, the, all this stuff that we've been talking about. It's like, I got a seat at his table that we talked about last week. It's like, aren't the benefits great? Yeah, absolutely. Despite all the benefits that we have here, there are moments, though, when we sit there and think, but it's not about the benefits, is it? It's about the one who gives those things to us. It's about the one who loves our soul. So when I say 
you are loved by God, I hope you're asking this question like, what, is that, like, what does that look like? Because what if you leave this place today, you head outside, whether it's you go to a restaurant, you go into a store, you go home, you hang out with other family, and you run into somebody and they look at you and they say, hey, uh, so you're a Christian, huh? And you might be even visiting here today and you came with somebody and, and maybe you've not been in church before or maybe you've, I don't know, you've been in church but not one like this and, and you walk out and it's like, so you're a Christian. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, what, is, what does it mean that you're, you're a Christian? How, how is that, that whole thing about being loved? How, is that, how do you know God loves you? What do you say to him? When they start asking you those kind of questions, how do you know God loves you? What does that look like? How's that fleshed out? Because, you know, one of the first things we're like, well, uh, the Bible says so. Yeah, okay, the Bible says a lot of things. How else do you know you're loved? Uh, Pastor Rex said so. I don't know who Pastor Rex is, so help me out. How else do you know you're loved? Oh, man, um... Well, I know it. God said it. Uh, Jesus, reveal, Jesus revealed his love, the love of God. What does that mean? Uh, he unveiled it. He, he showed me what God's love looks like. Oh, okay. So, so you believe you're loved. Yeah. How do you qualify to be loved? Ooh, how do I qualify to be loved? We're all qualified. I don't believe that. What do you mean you don't believe that? Well, I've, I've watched you, how you judge people. So I, I don't think you really believe that God loves everybody. Really? I'll stop there, my conversation with myself, okay? But don't we do that? I mean, we sit there and we think, I'm loved. But sometimes we might question, am I qualified to be loved by God? Is that person qualified to be loved by God? Because let's, let's face it, we look around the world, there's all kinds of people, right? Good, bad. Educated, uneducated, rich, poor, Ohio State fans, Wolverine fans, okay? Um, it's just, there's all kinds of people out there, right? And, and we, we judge people. We look at people and we say, I do not judge people. God loves everyone. Everyone's worthy of God's love, okay? Do me a favor. Don't do this often, okay? But sit down, turn on the news. Watch about 30 minutes. That's enough. Five minutes is enough, but 30 minutes if you want to get the full scope, okay? And after about 30 minutes, you ask the question, are the Ukrainians worthy of God's love? Is Putin worthy of God's love? Is President Joe Biden worthy of God's love? Are rapists worthy of God's love? Are activists worthy of God's love? Rioters? Dirty politicians? Are they worthy of God's love? Refugees? Oh, absolutely. Refugees, they are worthy of God's love. Ooh, that's hard, isn't it? I mean, we just, we just turn, to, I'm going to turn the news off because I don't want to ask that question anymore. My point is, though, we sit there and we say, God loves us. Who's worthy of it? Who deserves it? Do I deserve it? No, but he loves me. Do any of the people listed that I just say deserve it? No, but he loves them. But see, in my humanity, I judge people. And I sometimes decide whether or not they're worthy of God's love. But God says, I'm the judge, not you. I'll never forget 
the homeless man in Washington, D.C., sitting at McDonald's, asking him, Why, where are you trying to find help at? Have you, have you gone to a church? Have you tried, did you try to find help at a church? And that homeless man, he looked at me, he goes, I went to a church one time, and I know I shared this story with you before. And he goes, but I got to the doorsteps of the church, and there's guys dressed in suits, they're like the security of the ushers, right? And they wouldn't let me in because of how I was dressed and how I smelled. And, you know, it breaks your heart to think that even the church sometimes looks at people and say, you're not worthy to come in here today and receive God's love. And it breaks your heart to think that even we, the church, can judge and look and, and say, yeah, I think we sometimes think we can look at people and say they have value, they don't have value, they have worth, they don't have worth, right? I'm, I'm going to take a quick pause here. And I know I've done this before, but I'm going to do it again. I need a, I need a volunteer. I need a, I need a young person. I need a young person. Can I have a volunteer? Uh, really? Really? I'll pick you, but yeah, I'll pick you. Come on up. I knew that was going to be the first hand. It's sort of like the Ruples. They used to be that way, so they're always the first hand. All right. I need a prayer to make sure this doesn't go wrong. But anyway, okay, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, all right. Tell everybody who you are. My name is Joseph Green, and I'm... That's it. Stop right there. We don't need to know anything else. Okay. A smile says enough. Okay. Joseph, help me out here. What is this? A bill. What kind Five. of bill? Five. I was going to pick these guys, but they already know what's going on. They, we, we were doing this yesterday. So a $5 bill. How do you know it's a $5 bill? Because it says it on the bill. Where does it say I am five? Right. Oh, there's the number five. Okay, got it. Yeah. You want to hold that, make sure it's real, check it out? Think it's real? Yep. Do you know that, that president that's on there? That is... Is it Abraham Lincoln? Uh, yes. Okay, I didn't think it was Trump. Okay, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, yep, there's Abraham Lincoln. Good, okay. So how much is this $5 bill worth, Joe? Um, is it worth $4? It's worth five dollars. It's worth five dollars. Now be very careful and watch what I do. If I take this five dollar bill and I fold it in half, how much is it worth now? Five dollars. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. Okay. So what if I take it and I crunch it up? How much is it worth? Five dollars. What if I sometimes I get nervous up here and I sweat and I so what if I put it under my sweaty armpit? I, it happens. What is it worth now? Five dollars. What if I, um, I don't do this, your dad might, but what if I pick my nose and put a booger in here? How much is, <laughs> focus right here. How much is it worth? Five dollars. And a booger. Okay. So what if <laughs> I throw it on the floor, I step on it, it and, uh, uh, and I call it names. <laughs> Stinking Lincoln, right? That's a good name. Yeah. How much is it worth? Five dollars. What if I'm walking, let's just, just imagine this, okay? I'm okay. walking out in the middle of know, the park or a parking lot, okay. and I'm walking, and it falls out of my pocket, and I just keep walking, and I'm gone. And about 10 minutes later, you come walking up, and you see that on the ground. What are you going to do? Oh, I got a $5 bill. Yippee! <laughs> and I start buying toys. <laughs> that is the... Most honest answer I've had in years, okay? Because a lot of people come like, I would take it and put it in the offering. Whatever, okay? Thank you for being honest. Okay, why did you pick it up? Because I like dollars. 
<laughs> and I want to be rich. Okay, so you picked it up because you like money and it's yeah. it, because it's worth $5, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let me do this. I'll take this, you keep that, and you can go ahead and go back to your parents. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Okay, you might have to take them outside to chill them down for a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> here's the thing. He picked it up because it still has five. And here's the whole point of that, okay? If, um, and, and don't worry about it. That, was, that, that came off of Pastor Dave's desk, so it doesn't matter. Anyway. <laughs> um, so here's the point. So the, the value of that $5 bill, it, it has value, right? No matter what I did to it, no matter how I treated it, whether I, I beat it up, threw it down, called it names, I abused it, I left it to itself, I abandoned it, right? It still had value. And every one of us is like that $5 bill, but we have much more value, don't we? We were created by the God of this universe. We were created, we were called masterpieces. We are new in Christ. We have value. So no matter how you've been treated, if you've been verbally abused, you've been physically abused, I'm sorry. If you've been abandoned, you feel left alone, I'm sorry. If you feel hurt in any certain way, I am truly sorry for you. But that does not change your value. You have incredible value that God gave you. Nobody can change that. Isn't that an awesome thing to know? And But for some reason, for some reason, we sit around and we think, but not me. Yes, you, you have value. God loves you. He's given you incredible value. And some of us think, well, I can't be loved until I get my life perfect. I can't be loved. I can't come back to church. I can't get things right with God until I get things right. And that's like saying, I, I'm not going to go to the doctor to take care of my arm that hurts until it feels better. Once it feels better, I'll go to the doctor. That makes no sense whatsoever. But we do that with God all the time. I, I'll get right with you as soon as I get right. That's not going to happen. See, the God who's given you value and loves you says, come here. He wants to pull you in and say, I love you just as you are. I know you don't have it all together, but I want to help you with this. Open up your Bible. Um, we're going to start in, in the book of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, um, starting in verse 13, we're going to look at three quick stories of how God's love is reflected now with different people. So we've, we, you know, no matter where you're at in life, I'm not worthy because I don't have a lot of money. I, I, I'm, I'm not worthy to be loved because I got these things wrong in my life, right? I, I'm not worthy to be loved because I'm, I'm just in a dark place. My, whatever it might be, I want to show you how God loves you no matter where you're at. It's reflected in, in Jesus Christ. So the first one is in the Matthew chapter 14. It starts off with this. As soon as... Jesus heard the news. He left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them, and he healed the sick. I don't know if you've ever had one of those long days where you're like, I am I'm beat. I'm tired. It was a long day at school, a long day at work, a long day wherever it was. And you're like, I just want to go home and 
climb in bed, get on the couch, pull the blanket over my head. I just, I don't want to deal with it anymore today, right? You ever had one of those days? You're, you just, for some of you, you're a crier. Some of you, you're, you're angry. You're, I'm going to go to the gym and work it off. Whatever it may be, you just, you've had one of those days. Jesus just found out, and it's been a long, he's been teaching and helping people, and he gets word that his, 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 his good friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded, murdered. That news hits him hard. And he's like, I need to get alone. Gets in the boat with his disciples. They go across the and they get there, and there's all these hundreds and thousands of people. And it's like, <laughs> but did you read what he said? He said, he saw the crowd. He stepped out of the boat, and he had compassion on them. And he healed the sick. That's the kind of God that loves us. He says, I could use a break right now, but you're hurting. And because you're hurting, I've got compassion on you. Read on. It says in verse 15, it says, That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, Jesus said. Verse 19, then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. And they all ate as much as they would. And afterward, the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. This is the love of God reflected in Jesus. Jesus looks out and says, you're hungry? Let me take care of you. I heard a story one time about a young lady. Uh, she would go on an occasion uh, with, her, with her dad to a local restaurant. And there was one such occasion where uh, they got to the restaurant. And they got up and, and, um, and he ordered. And she's standing right there. And he ordered for himself. And he never ordered for her. And they sat down to eat. He ate. She sat there with nothing. And, and, and asking her, like, how did you feel about that? And her answer was, I didn't feel worthy enough to be fed. How crushing is that? You sit in disbelief as you hear that story, and it's like, how could a father not consider feeding their own child? And then you look at the story of Jesus, and he looks out and he goes, I want to feed you. You're hungry, aren't you? I know, I know you guys could probably go home right now, and you'll, you'll survive the walk home, and you'll make it, but I see where you're at right now. I'm going to feed you. Turn your Bibles uh, from Matthew, now to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 29. Jesus says this, As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. People around him are like, be quiet, the crowd yelled at him. But they only shouted louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Verse 32, when Jesus heard them, he stopped and he called, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them, touched their eyes, and instantly they could see and they followed him. I love this. Jesus is on the move, right? He's going from place to place. He's teaching. He's got all these important things to do. Two blind men. And I can't imagine their situation. To not see color. 
to not see a tree, to not see mountains, to not see people's faces, to not see anything but just darkness. Can you imagine living in darkness? And they hear this Jesus, this son of David, he's coming. He's, and they're just shouting out, and Jesus is like, hey, what do you want? Uh, new pair of shoes? What do you think, right? We want to see. Jesus knew what they wanted. He knew what they needed. And he acted. And he touched them. Because he had compassion. He felt sorry for them. He had compassion for them. He had love for them. And he said, because I love you, I'm going to help you right now. I'm going to do something nobody else can do. See, somebody else might be able to come along and feed you. But who can heal you and give you sight? Only Jesus, right? Next story. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. There's a lot of stories in the, in the Bible. We can look, you know, one after another. And, and, um, but these are the three that, that God laid upon my heart to share. It's like, and I told somebody a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, the older I get, I feel like the more people I know are passing away or the more funerals I'm attending. And I never understood that as a child. You know, as a child, it's like my parents are off to a funeral. It's like, man, another one? It's like, but now that I'm older, I understand. I know a lot more people, and the people I know are older. And so death is inevitable. And unfortunately, we face death in our life. It's a part of life, right? And here's the thing. God knows that death stings. He knows that we hurt. He knows when we mourn. And he says, I'm I'm going to be with you in that time. Remember last week we said, even though I walk, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow, even when, that's an even when moment. Even when I am mourning, you are there with me. So in this passage, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11, it says this. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples into the village of Nain and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was the widow's only son. And a large crowd followed from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. There it is again. Don't cry, he said. And he walked over to the coffin and he touched it. And the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us. Now, don't miss this next part. And God has visited his people today. Oh, man. Praise God that he defeated death. Can you, can you picture that scene? This is a historical moment. This isn't a made-up story. Can you imagine being at a funeral, and the, and the coffin's going by, and just like, oh, oh, oh. And he's looking and he sees the pain of the widow. The boy's mom is just crying. People are gathered, a large crowd, and they're, they're all weeping too. He's like, this is why I'm going to do what I'm going to do here very soon. But I'm going to show you in advance the power of God. He touches the casket, Right? The boy sits up. He's like, whoa, what up? You? Cool, right? And it's like, that isn't what happened. But I mean, that's what it was said. But, you know, can you imagine? I mean, like he sits up and he starts talking to Jesus. And Jesus is like, 
Yeah, I knew. I knew it's possible. You know why? Because I'm going to do the same thing here really soon. I'm going to be put up on that. I'm going to be buried in that. And I'm going to rise up. And in a couple of weeks, our church, we're celebrating Easter. Why? Because our Savior, Jesus Christ, is alive. Amen? Amen. He's resurrected. And he gives us now eternal hope. And we read that before that ever happened, here's a story with this woman who lost her only son. And it's like, this is the love of God. And it's reflected now in Jesus. Jesus like, he loves you. Well, how do you know God loves you? I'm going to show you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to conquer death so you don't have to cry anymore. That's how much I love you. I want you to know how much I love you. And as a church, I hope you can sit here this morning and say, yeah, God loves me. But then if I ask you, do you believe that? Well, well, yeah. Have you felt it? Yeah, I've felt it. Have you ever doubted it? Yeah. See, as much as I can preach it until I turn blue in the face, like, God loves you, God loves you, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved. And you're like, I know, I know, I know, I know. I believe it, I believe it. But then there's those moments. We all have these moments where it's like, but today I'm not feeling it. Today I'm doubting it. Because we are human, right? It's a struggle at times to feel that you're loved. Can I ask you a question? Who told you you're not loved? Who told you you're not worthy to be loved? That's not from God. Remember last week we talked in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? He prepares a table for me in what? In the presence of my enemies, right? So here's my table that I've come to the table to be with my Lord, my God, my shepherd. I'm here feasting in the presence of my enemies. And as I sit at the table with with my God... You know who's within an earshot? The enemy. And the devil just loves to sort of shout your way, you're not loved. You're not. We sometimes think, you know, it's like, I don't know where that thought came from. Can I tell you where that thought came from? It did not come from God. If you think you are not loved, that didn't come from God. God's told you you are loved. If somebody's whispering into your ear, you're not loved, you're not worthy, that is a lie. It's a lie from the enemy. Our enemy is a voice by the table. We sit at the table and what does he want to do? He wants to disrupt your meal. He wants to cheapen your fellowship and your worship. So he will say whatever he says. He'll try to distract you, make whatever noise he can. He'll do whatever he can to trick you and fool you. I was reading uh, about an article about a family in Peru. They bought this puppy from this vendor in Lima. And uh, they were so excited they, about this little puppy that they thought it was a little uh, puppy husky. And they called him Run Run. And they were feeding him. They were playing with little Run Run and raising that little puppy up to be this purebred husky. Right? This all excitement. But as, as Run Run got older, uh, the cuteness sort of changed a little bit. Um, Run Run started to chase things and then kill things. Guinea pigs, chickens, ducks. And like, what is wrong with our purebred husky? Here's the problem. As he got older, his looks changed. He had a little bit longer of a snout. His legs were a little bit longer and thinner. He had a bit bushier of a tail than normal. Um, here's a picture of Run Run. Run Run is not a purebred husky. He is an Andean fox. Uh, they figured that out a little late in life, right? 
fortunately, local wildlife officials were able to tranquilize them and put them into a zoo and take care of them. But this family, they thought they were raising a purebred husky, but as it got older, it was not. That's the way the devil works. That's the way the enemy works. He enters our life in such an innocent way. He pulls up a chair right near our table and just like, hey, just uh, chill with you here, right? Uh, but he's a dangerous fox who has a passion to lie and kill. Jesus said that himself. He's a liar and a murderer from the start. And although we sit at the table with the Lord in worship, there he is, the enemy. He's within the near shot again, just sort of tossing lies our direction every day. He will not shut up. He's rude. Sometimes he'll whisper and whisper loud. Sometimes he barks and screams. Here's the thing. I know I'm loved. Church, I, I know I'm loved. But like many of you, we have those days when we wake up and we try to do a quiet time and we just can't focus. Or we get news and we just start getting angry. And we get frustrated with what's going on around us in our life. And, and whether it's in our own home, our own family, or somebody else we know and love. And we're just like, we just, we get to that boiling point. It's like, I know you love me, but I don't feel it today, God. I just, I do not feel it today. And I know, church, I know. Romans 8, I know nothing can separate me from the love of God. We talked about that, right? I know, but there's days I don't feel it. How about you? I honestly ask that to you. How about you? There are days when I know God loves me, but man, life is hard. And I don't feel it. I know my God is big, but sometimes I feel outnumbered. Do you? I think if we're honest with each other, We'd all say, yeah, I have those moments. And if you are not saying that, you might be lying to me. Because I think we all feel that way. In your Bibles, you can turn there if you want, but 2 Kings chapter 6, I want to go back to a story. Because in my own personal life, when I was struggling with this very thing, church, this story came to me. 2 Kings chapter 6. The king of Aram is at war with Israel. And every time he'd come in to attack Israel, Israel's like, hey, we heard he's coming. They, they knew the plan. So they were always able to counteract whatever the king was going to do. And the king of Aram, he's like, what's going on? He pulled in all of his generals and said, what's going on? Who is leaking the story? Who's the traitor here? Somebody's telling the king of Israel what's going on because he knows before we ever attack. Who is it? Who's the traitor? And they're like, um, there's no traitor here, king. It's Elisha. He's a prophet of God. God tells him what's going on. And he goes to the king of Israel and tells the king of Israel. And then there it is. He goes, oh, all right. Let's kill Elisha. So he musters up this huge army and they go find him. And he's in the city of Dothan. And that's in 2 Kings chapter 6. And this time they, they surround the city of Dothan, they surround Elisha's house. And the servant of Elisha goes out, and he can't sleep that night. He's like, something's going on, something's going on. He goes out that morning, and he looks out, and he's like, oh, boy. Army completely surrounding his house, right? And he's like, we are in trouble. He goes back in to Elisha. He's like, Elisha, 
we're surrounded. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up early next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. And I'm going to put this verse up and I'll leave it up the rest of the sermon. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see. It wasn't Elisha saying, Hey, open my eyes. I want to. It was like, Open his eyes. I want him to see this. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw on the hillside around Elisha, filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced towards him, Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with the blindness, just as Elisha had asked. You gotta love this story. This, this, is, this is sort of incredible, right? As, and uh, Elisha goes up to them and says, you've come to the wrong place. You've come the wrong way. This isn't, this isn't the right city. Follow me, and I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And he leads a blind army <laughs> that was coming to kill him. They're completely blind. He takes them into the middle of Samaria, which is the capital of, you know, and it's like this is the, right in the midst of their enemies now. Remember, they, they had Elisha surrounded. Now they are surrounded. And then Elisha's like, um, God, open up their eyes. And boom, the blindness leaves. And like, we're dead. We are so dead. The king of Israel says to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? He says it twice. Should I kill them? It's like, he's eager. Like, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Come on. We got the enemy right here. Let's get rid of them. Yeah, yeah. And for those who open up the Old Testament and God is this warmongering God who says it's always about blood and death. Check out how Elisha responds according to God's direction. Of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink. Send them home to their master. Verse 23, so the king made a great feast for them, sent them home to their master. After that, the Armenian raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Don't you love that? It's like God's like, we're not going to kill them. Matter of fact, just feed them. We'll give you a big feast. That's what we do to our enemies, right? It's like, what a crazy story, right? Here's the thing. Church, God loves you. He's got this rescuing love for you that forgives you, that does not condemn you. It transforms you into a new kingdom and removes you from, from that darkness and that separation of God. His love is reflected in Jesus Christ. As Jesus says, you're hungry, I'll feed you. You're hurting, I'll help you. You're alone, you're not alone anymore. You're, you're dealing with death, I'm going to mourn with you, but we're going to make it better because I have eternal hope. Whatever it is you are dealing with, Jesus is like, I'll show you how God can love you through that moment. But sometimes we just don't see it. God loves you and I right where we are. But again, you go back to Psalm 23 and the picture of you sitting at the table, right? And, and you're sitting there and your relationship with God's being interrupted by that unwanted fox, that unwanted lion, that unwanted devil that just keeps saying, you're not worthy. You have no value. Joseph would argue with you on that one, right? He's like, I got value, right? We have value. But the unwanted guest is always sitting within earshot saying, you do not have value. You're not, you know, do you ever hear this one? You're not good enough to be loved by God. 
Some of us think we got to reach a certain level to be loved by God. That's a lie. Maybe you think, you know, it's, we get this. There's, the grass is greener over here, right? There's, there's better life over here. We compare our lives. God's prepared something for us, and, and the devil's sitting there going, Hey, Rex, I, I, see, I see he's got a peanut butter pie there for you. I got four at my table. Come on. It's better over here, right? I mean, it's more pleasurable over here, right? Sin is always pleasurable. It's not lie. Sin is pleasurable. And the devil will point that out to you. Come on. Looks boring over there. Come over to my table. If God loved you, he does love me. If God loved you, why are you experiencing pain? I don't know. Shut up. He just keeps going, right? Hey, if God loved you, why did this happen in your life? If you're loved, shouldn't you be getting this out of life? The noise from the enemy tends to get pretty loud, doesn't it? And there's times I just want to close my eyes and say, I'm done. I'm so done. And then I read the story of Elisha, and I'm reminded, my God's bigger. My God's bigger than the enemy. So I pray, God, open my eyes. And that prayer lasted about this long. Because you know why? Because it wasn't just about me. Because I know there's people that I love that are probably hurting too. So my next prayer lasted about that long. And it was, God, open the eyes of those I love. I prayed specifically for some people that I feel right now are just been blinded. And we're not seeing the love of God. Just as Jesus fed the hungry, healed the sick, the blind, comforted those who mourn, he does the same for you and me. He loves us. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter your status. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you're from. He loves you. Worship team, would you come up, please? He loves you. And, And here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever... Some of you that are on social media, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not on social media, you don't. But when, when you're like, oh, I'm in love or somebody loves me, you're like, you're posting it right away. Like, look what my love got me. Or look what I did for my love. Oh, we're celebrating whatever anniversary. You know, it's why, because you love them, so you're posting. You want everybody to know. If you're not one of those people who post things, maybe somewhere or another, you're out there. You just want people to know, I love this person, right? And, and it's evident, Right? I want to encourage you, church. You are loved by the God of this universe. Can I encourage you to do something? Could you now please let everybody know that? <laughs> Just let people know you're loved and that you love him. Our love for him isn't perfect, but we can strive to do that, right? I, I may not get the, the correct thing for my wife on Valentine's or anniversary. Uh, I love her. I may not get her the, the correct thing or the right thing. I, I may not nail that one down, okay? But the point is, because of my love, I, I probably should do something, right? Because of my love for God. <clears throat> I should let people know. Just like I would post something about somebody that I, I care about. Why not about God? And sometimes as Christians, you know, people look at us and they... They say, oh, you love God. You're just smiling. And the picture is just like too good to be true, right? You're just smiling because you're minimizing the pain in your life. You're minimizing the stress in your life. 
You're, you're minimizing uh, the pain of death. You're minimizing the temptation of sin. That's why you can say that God loves you. No, I'm not minimizing anything. The pain is pain. I'm maximizing my God. It's not about minimizing the stuff around us. It's about maximizing my God. my eyes open that there is a God who loves me. And I can know that truth and I can go down and live that truth. Would you stand, please? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you this morning because I feel like there's some, some of us in this room right now that we are, we're, we're faking it in how we live. And we yeah, I'm loved, but yet inside we're, we're struggling because the enemy is sort of whispering in your ear, telling you're not worthy. You're not loved. You are. I'm going to pray that your eyes are open this morning to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. God, I, I share what I shared this morning, God, because you placed it upon my heart. Because when you live it and you taste it, you want others to know about it and you see it. And it just, I just know, God, this is what you want. Because I know, God, there are people right now in here, in this room. There's probably some online watching right now as well. And God... We do not feel worthy to be loved. We've, maybe we have believed a lie that I'm not good enough. Or that things would be better if I lived this way or some other way. God, we have listened to the lies long enough. God, help us to focus on you, to maximize you. To look at you across the table and say, you are God. And there's a lot of clutter going on around here right now. But my focus is on you. God, remove the blindness from our eyes. Peel away the veil. God, help us to see you. Just as Elisha prayed for his servant to see your army. God, I pray this morning, we see your army. God, I I pray that we don't look for these little cute angels or babies with wings or something that we, we have no idea what angels look like and we just got these little pictures. God, help us to see your army of angels. Strong, victorious, standing around us saying, we got you. Because our God is the God we serve and we are protecting you because he loves you. God, help us to see that. Help us to see that we are loved. And Lord, help us to sing about it now. As we sing, God, let us us sing of that love. You are awesome, God. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In my name we pray. Amen.